Greetings, peace, and blessings to all you lovely listeners. This is Caleb Truth, and you are now listening to Beyond the Veil on InnerLightRadio.com, where we go beyond the surface level of reality and dive deep to reveal hidden truths and exciting revelations. Thank you so much for joining us again today for another show. I want to quickly give a big shout out again to InnerLightRadio.com for helping us to produce this show and putting this on. So, on today's show, we're going to be talking about toxic masculinity and steps that we can take to begin to heal it. So, what is toxic masculinity? We got we got to like think about that first. Uh, there's a lot of uh, programs, social cultural programs that you know permeate through many different cultures all over this world, uh, where we've created a culture where men you know, uh, reinforce behaviors and ways of thinking that are not really healthy or conducive to, you know, creating greater sense of unity and harmony out there. So like programs like competitiveness, programs like men uh, sexually objectifying women, programs that men must be big and strong and muscular, and if they're not, they're weak, programs like a man can't express emotions, once again, because if he does, he's perceived as weak. So there's so many things that actually, like, has put a lot of pressure on a lot of men. And so a lot of men, I think, felt that, okay, I, ha- I guess I have to coalesce to these programs or else I'm not going to be socially accepted by my community or my group. And that is a very sad thing, you know, to have to have people feel that they can't really express and be who they want to be. And along with that, there's a spectrum of what is masculinity. There's a spectrum of what is femininity. And these things are not programmed into our DNA. They're not uh, within our biology. These things are learned through culture. So that's one thing I wanted to kind of throw in there. So on today's show, we have an amazing guest on. His uh, He's going to be talking to us um, about toxic masculinity and what he's doing within his community. Uh, his name is Garth Sam. Thank you so much, Garth, for coming on the show today. Oh, it's a real pleasure, Kay. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about your journey uh, into how you stepped into like even being in the role that you're in in Toronto mm. and getting into spirituality and getting into like consciousness and expansion of awareness? Like, how did you get onto that path in your life? Wow, how much time do we have? Yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> if I'm going to tell me, if I'm going to break down my uh, my bio, it's going to take a little bit of a minute. But uh, suffice it to say that I really began with a long stemming interest in human potential development. And, you know, how to achieve personal self-actualization, how to realize one's fullest potential in the most holistic sense of what that means. So, of course, there is no way of separating out the spiritual dimension to that part of the journeying. And, you know, my path has been very much one that has looked at trying to understand as best as possible both, you know, my own inner workings and who I am as a human being. And, of course, as a male member of the human family and tribe. And, you know, that's where my personal journeying began. But I segued over the last several years into really exploring more closely the nature of the male dance and dynamic at this really unique period in time and observing that there is a lot of work to be done in that space. Uh, You know, I've worked as a life coach for almost 20 years now, full time as a professional vocation. 
And over the last several years, I've been really skewing my interests and focus to look at the issues that men are contending with and the challenges that they face and the kind of need that exists within my gender my gender cohort for an evolution of consciousness and an evolution of behavior in turn with that consciousness shift. So that's sort of the journeying that I've been on in a nutshell um, to put it into more specific and succinct terms vis-a-vis -vis what I'm doing right now. I've developed a fraternal platform and I'm always a little bit uh, careful about using that term because you don't want to be lumped in with, you know, the quintessential frat boy, fraternity yes. kind of idea, <laughs> right? So let me say from the outset, first couple of things. One, it's a non-secret society. That's very, very critical to me. I think it's really important that men express the values, mores, and philosophical foundations on which they stand and which, you know, which obviously... Um, lends itself to them being held accountable to those tenets. So that's step one. Step two, it's non-religious. And step three, it's non-political. So taking all of those into account, and then if we go in a sort of a positive direction, it's intergenerational, it's inclusive. You know, it doesn't make any sort of distinctions or separations in terms of who's uh, entitled to be party to this platform, to this, this conversation based on race, creed, culture, or class, any of those sorts of things. And the intergenerational part is a really important part, I feel, too, because I think that there's a lot that's been lost in the youthphilic society of which we are a part and of which marketers continue to bombard us with thinking that that's the only direction to look in. And we, unfortunately, in this part of the world in particular, denigrate and don't give enough attention and focus and energy to trying to draw on the wisdom of our elders. And I'd really like to see that shift a lot because I mm -hmm. see a lot of young men who are suffering tremendously from lack of having that kind of guidance and mentorship rolling. Yes. So, so what you're talking about essentially is like this concept of having like a rite of passage. Well, that would be one such thing. Certainly that's missing in our culture and society for the most part today. And when I make when I make comments like this, I'm really speaking specifically to the North American situation. I mean, there are other parts of yes. the world where there are still rites of passage and there are still intact communities and intact cultures and intact family structures and traditional patterns that lend themselves to a, a more clearly defined shift from boy to man, per se, or from you know girl to woman. Uh, but yeah, certainly here we're lacking a lot of those kind of institutions and they've been diluted and dismissed over time and they're not present to help with that processing. So that would be one one facet and one aspect. But I mean, there are so many that go into the creation of a healthy masculine demeanor, whatever mm -hmm. that means. We will break down and discuss in this conversation, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So like before we break down what it is to be a, mm. a healthy man and, and uh, I guess... Uh, exhibiting healthy masculine traits what in your mind is toxic masculinity <laughs> wow it, it, it's you know the word in and of itself well i mean with the adjective attached to the masculinity toxic masculinity it, it's it's so uh, noteworthy for the negative connotation that it speaks to and it's so sort of blatantly obvious that it speaks to the worst aspects of who men are and what men are about so, you know, when I think of toxic masculinity, that's exactly what comes to mind for me. I mean, I see this heap of toxic plasmic slag that represents <laughs> the lowest and most undesirable elements of what men are about on this planet, whether that be their interactions with the planet as a ecological entity or whether that be in terms of their relationships with each other, man to man, man to boy, whatever the case may be, or sadly, whether that be in relation to the way men interact with the other half of the gender spectrum now i know and, and you know okay we touched on this a little bit so for any listeners who are sensitive to this this question or issue of uh gender 
please allow us to indulge in the the classic sort of distinction between male female along those simple lines and and we won't uh, we won't uh, try to offend anyone by uh, the uh, binary the binary platform that we're using but we'll use it for the the sake of simplicity in this conversation space mm-hmm. and respect to anybody for who they self-define. I, I totally have no problem with that either. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so, you know, the, the rite, of, rite of passage idea is certainly one that has been lost and is lacking. And there are different type of institutions, I suppose, that fill in some of that gap to some degree, but not with a consciousness around the meaning behind that. Um, so that's, you know, a huge deficit in terms of our culture as I see it and in terms of what's going on with men right now. Um, but you know, there, there's so many factors and facets. I'm, you know, I I don't even know where we should start to jump in on this. I mean, the lack of role models, the lack of effective leadership, uh, that exists in terms of what is being shown as being qualities of good leadership, sage leadership, Mm -hmm. kind, passionate, capable, confident. You know, I always make the important distinction between confidence and arrogance and how a man should seek to be a confident man and a capable man and a man who is able to you know, comport himself with both skill, grace, and efficacy, but not become egocentric and arrogant in the course of doing so, right? Mm-hmm. These, are, these are the distinctions that I think are really, really important. And unfortunately, we're not seeing enough people broadly demonstrated and widely available to the mass uh, who are demonstrating these type of qualities and are helping young men to grow into these type of men. So, like, just to, like, uh, roll it back for a few seconds for listeners that aren't really too familiar with this concept of toxic ma- masculinity, what are some examples you can give us of toxic masculinity? Well, this is this might be really heavy, but it's, it's weighing on my heart and head right now, so I'll, I'll make mention of it because I suppose it's a, a perfect example. And, you know, violence against women, violence perpetrated against women. One of the men in my network um, recently, well, just in the last few days, discovered that a friend of his and a close acquaintance of his uh, was just murdered in Costa Rica. That's on the news in the United States right now. Wow. It was a 36-year-old young lady named uh, Carla Stefaniak who was down there on holiday. And, uh, you know, it's a terrible tragedy. I mean, you know, it seems like they know who the perpetrator was, but, you know, it's just one of those classic, horrific and terrible cases that is such a little bit closer to home right now because it is a man that I know who was close to this person. And he reached out when she went missing and was asking if I had people in my network who might be able to help to see what's going on with her. But, you know, they recently found her body stabbed and bludgeoned. And, you know, if there were ever a poignant example of what toxic masculinity looks like, I suppose that particular case as it is so relevant and weighing on my heart and soul today is a perfect place to start. I mean, toxic masculinity expressed in terms of violence towards anything or anyone is one of the most dramatic expressions of the negative aspects of, you know, masculinity, you know, toxic masculinity is expressed in that way and form. I think toxic masculinity applies across the board to any type of oppression or violence or, uh, repression or suppression or oppression anywhere or of anyone uh, or of anything for that matter. Again, I made mention earlier of the way that we interact with this planet and given that we are recognizing very, very clearly that we are potentially moving towards some critical tipping point moments in human history where our actions now and very soon will determine the future of this planet and or the future of this species. Um, 
uh, you know, toxic masculinity in that quadrant would have people who are placing profits over planet and have no, no regard for the implications and the consequences of such actions in spite of the fact that you're literally poisoning the earth, destroying yes. it, you know, compromising it in such ways that are perhaps you know, beyond recovery. And it's, I'm so glad that you brought that up because it seems that over, like, I brought this up in my live stream quickly. I did on Facebook a few minutes ago, but yeah, it seems that this, this mass, this toxic masculinity, this patriarchal energy that's been on the planet, it seems for at least like a good two to three thousand, maybe even five thousand years. How about forever? Has been all about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not quite sure when it, I'm not quite sure when it wasn't present. I feel like I feel like there was a time on the planet when I look into ancient civilization where like you know there was more goddess worship where things more were more mm. unified, more beautified, more harmonious. There was a time I feel when all these civilizations were thriving and that was when they were in more of this like balanced energy when they allowed the sacred feminine energy to have more flow and more expression. Mm. But somehow like as time went forward it seems like that energy was uh, suppressed and and women were oppressed and then again you know, sexually objectified, used as, as as objects for whatever possessions, you know, looked at as less of less value. And mm. and I, like I also felt that from looking into ancient culture that men were afraid of what some women uh, were in terms of their power, their psychic power, their intuitive power. Oh, yeah to work with the natural energies of of nature like it just seems like there was a lot of stuff going on there where men felt intimidated and began to resent and to hate and instead of learning from these women on how to tap into that energy themselves they would rather just control them use them or kill them absolutely and i mean when you (laughs) you know when you refer to this as a past tense unfortunately you know what's so sad if we're able to stretch back a couple of thousand or several thousand years in terms of looking at the history of human civilization, you know, 10,000 years deep or whatever you want to go in terms of written or recorded history, I don't think that there has been a, a huge change around that. I think that men remain um, you know, quite intimidated by the powers that women wield, and I think that that's been a big part of why men have reacted and become misogynistic in their dealings with women is because they have been so intimidated by the power. I mean, the power of procreation, the power of you know, being able to bring life, new life and new bloodlines onto this planet is something that no man can ever emulate. Uh, It doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't make a difference. So women will always possess the most unique dimension, perhaps, of our human uh, capacity in in terms of being able to bring new life onto this world. But in addition to that, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, my partner is an incredibly intuitive and gifted woman who would probably be denounced at some point in time in the past as being, you know, part of the <laughs> the witches of the, <laughs> of yesteryear, you know, as a healer and somebody who is interested in facilitating better well-being, but not necessarily uh, party to the most conventional or, or uh, male-dominated means of doing so, right? And, and I think that's still a really big part of the issue here, is that men are quite intimidated by the powers that women possess. And what I'm starting to see, which is also part of my main concern, and why I think it's really important to be taking the kind of steps that I'm taking and the kind of steps that other men are taking in trying to lead and foment a conversation around you know, healthier masculinity, is that the pendulum of power has definitely shifted and has been shifting very, very dramatically 
over the last few years in the direction of women's ascendancy. And I think it's a beautiful and fantastic thing. There's no, I have no qualms whatsoever about women rising into positions of power and authority based on capacity and interest and talent and potential being finally given an opportunity to rear and, and show itself fully. But what's happening in exchange, as is always the case whenever you get a me meaningful shift in the power balance and dynamic, is that you're going to have backlash from those who feel that they're now losing some of their power, whatever yes. that may be, they the illusion threatened. of it. Yeah, they yes. certainly feel threatened, right? And so we're starting to see a lot of that, I think, and I'm really concerned about how that is starting to manifest in our society and how important it is now to be able to help men to not feel that type of uh, interest in some sort of a backlash or some sort of a negative response to this, right? I think that's really, really a critical piece right now because clearly, as per every indication, objective and subjective, women are on the rise. Women are rising into positions of prominence and power like never before. Women are economically empowered and franchised like yes. never before. Conversations of greatest substance and significance are often being driven by women right now. Amen and ashi. Hallelujah, right? No, let, it be, <laughs> let it be so. I have no qualms at all about this. I can only see, and you know, this is, I joke about this sometimes, and I, I guess that the listenership that is going to be uh, party to this conversation won't have any problem with me saying this, but I mean, I joke sometimes about the fact that once upon a time, if you were part of the elite, uh, uh, racial elite, and you made comments in favor of the disenfranchised members of another race, you would be, re you'd be termed a race traitor. You know, that was a classic line that was dropped on people, right? If white people in the United States back in the day who expressed any sort of sympathies or empathies with the plight of, you know, enslaved Africans would be referred to as race traitors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm beginning to feel that I am stepping into a space where speaking in favor of and celebrating the liberation of women from the oppression that they've been under and speaking simultaneously uh, at the same time to my desire to maintain men's sense of self-esteem, self-worth and to heal a lot of their wounds might have me branded by some who are interested in maintaining the status quo as a gender traitor at this mm -hmm. point, right? I mean, it's a curious thing to realize that that may be one of the conversations that is uh, about to bubble up and become more and more meaningful. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunate, but I think like it's it's probably one of the sexiest things for a woman to witness is a man that actually supports them <laughs> and and supports other women, because that's you know, I, that's what we're really desperately in need of in this period of time. But you know, I, I really look at things from a win-win perspective, and that is that all human dyadic relationships between any people, male, female, 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 it doesn't matter. They should all be predicated, in my humble opinion, in the best of all circumstances, on a mutual desire for mutual enhancement, mutual empowerment, mutual yes. enfranchisement. So you know, it, it's only about time that there was a reciprocity in that equation. I mean, it's well past due time. I mean, women have constantly been known and celebrated and acknowledged as being the backbone and supporters. You know, behind every great man, there's a great woman. I said there behind. There you go. I'm, I'm doing the yes. quote that is the old quote. It's not my quote, people, so don't, don't hold it against me. This was the quintessential <laughs> quote. 
I like to say beside now, and of course there are many women who like to say in front of, dragging along, you know, <laughs> dragging, dragging the man behind them is, is a great woman, whichever way you want to phrase it. But, you know, it's been very, very common for a long time to uh, acknowledge the contributions that women have made to the success and prosperity and other accomplishments that men have uh, enjoyed. But... Uh, I think it's well past due that we start to see the reciprocity that perhaps is now, um, you know, possible where with men of con- you know, with men of conscience and men who are conscious. Yes, and like I, like if people, you know, often get into conversations where they talk about the op- oppressed uh, Jewish community or you know, likewise the oppressed Aboriginal community, and all these things are very valid and you know, things to be considered and, and really uh, thought about. But what people often forget is the oppression of just women in general from all cultures all over the world, yeah. like in the hundreds of millions across yes. across thousands of years. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I'll I'll be, like, I, yeah, I'm totally with you, Kay, on that. And I'll be, you know, one of the first. And this is not about some taking some sort of a subjective position of bias, which is the key thing that people need to appreciate is that, What we are saying, what you're saying, and what I'm about to reflect back and and concur with you around is that we're not talking about our opinion. The fact, the raw, you know, unequivocal and irrevocable and irrefutable fact is that there is one gargantuan group who have suffered the greatest amount of oppression on this planet, and it's women. End of story. Like, (laughs) the numbers numbers don't lie. The numbers speak volumes. you know, thank goodness that initiatives like the Me Too movement have started to bring some of this consciousness to bear on people in terms of what it is that women are experiencing and what it is that women have been experiencing for centuries, millennia. You know, these are just facts. So, you know, I, yeah, I think anybody... just, women are saying like, you know, enough is enough now. We're tired well, of this. And now it's goodness. time for, for right. evolution. It's time for change. Yeah, well, it's, it's time at the very least for there being facts placed on the table in front of people so that people can become aware of the circumstances that they may be blindly or willfully blind about in terms of the type of situations and circumstances that women have been dealing with for so, 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 so long and are still dealing with. That's why I mm-hmm. say that, you know, the misogyny that we have seen throughout the centuries is not something that is done or over with or completed or you know something that we have transcended yet by no means it's present and it's still alive and unfortunately there's still a lot of ignorance these are the what it is that a lot of women are facing still today and i mean north america is the exception or at least quote the developed world is the exception but in the developing world i mean it's terrible every single day every single day the amount of abuse and you know, brutality and suffering that uh, is foisted on girls and women is horrific. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the more it's placed in front of us to be responsible for, I believe, the greater the likelihood of greater men stepping in as proponents for shift and for change of consciousness around it. And I think that was one of the great things that we saw with the Me Too movement. There's a lot of conspiracies also around the, the leaders of the Me Too movement. You know, I think I think a few leaders, my partner mentioned to me, I think got accused of of uh, uh, some form of sexual harassment or sexual abuse, which was kind of ironic. But aside from all of that drama, the essence of, of what that movement was, it was a great thing in inspiring women to finally like come forward, speak out and to really start taking back their power. And so, the, and that's like a, a beautiful thing that I can definitely appreciate. And I know that you also appreciate it as oh, well. Oh yeah, 
No, I mean, you know, let's, if, you know, so many of these come down to the base philosophical orientation that you have about who you're aspiring to be as a person. And I mean, that's kind of what I come back to. At the end of the day, I'm interested in looking beyond such simplicities as race, as, you know, as some sort of a measure of who a person is or culture or creed or class or any of those sort of things. I'm really looking beyond that at the essence of who we are as these creatures called humans, you know, homo sapiens, sapiens, whatever. Um, and, you know, who do you aspire to be? And if you aspire to be a good person in some way, shape or form, then you have to take a close examination of what constitutes not being such and to be dedicated and committed to make sure that you don't fall into the categories of not good people and do the things that not good people do. And, you know, mm -hmm. historically, it's not such a convoluted or complicated thing either. That's the part that's always so interesting is that it's not like there's no way of understanding what is good or what is bad. I mean, I refer constantly back to something as simple as the quintessential golden rule, right? I mean, yes. do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's not complicated, people, you know? <laughs> so it's not exactly rocket science here. But I think that's really what a lot of it comes back to. You know, who are you aspiring to be? What are you trying to be as, what kind of a person are you aspiring to be? And the relationships that you have and the way that you engage with people around you, male or female, says everything about who you are to me. Yes, 100%. And just like, like going back to what you were saying earlier, it all comes down to that choice of who you want to be. Yes. Like, who are you going to be a proud, like, who, like, how are you going to feel proud of yourself? And somehow I, I don't see how men who behave in these ways, like, you know, exhibiting traits of toxic masculinity, somehow I don't believe that these men, are, like, deep down are feeling proud of themselves. I don't, no, I don't see I, how that could be a truth. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't see it either because, again, you know, with the rare, 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 and, you know, part of my background is in psychology, and with the rare exception of those, you know, defective, I would say, human beings who lack a conscience, and even in their case, it's not that they do not understand right or wrong. And again, you know, part of my background is in law and part of my background is in psychology, so the two sort of juxtaposed together in this conversation. But you know, in law, when you look to see if someone is criminally insane, you're looking to see whether they had a full understanding of the negative consequence, not just the consequences, but the, the negative moral character of their behavior mm -hmm. and the reprehensible nature of their conduct. And very rarely do you find people who really don't know that cutting someone's head off is a bad thing to do. <laughs> You know, it's very few people who go, oh, I didn't understand. I didn't get it. I didn't know that was bad to, you know, cut their head off and eat their heart. No, no. <laughs> I thought it was okay and they wouldn't mind. Right. Who says that? Nobody, you know, very, very few say that. So if we take those rare, you know, freak anomalies out of the statistical pool, then we're left with the vast majority of people being able to recognize that this is good or bad behavior. This is positive or negative behavior. This is compassionate or not behavior, this is conducive to someone's well-being or not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I like to throw the responsibility back in the hands of the people who are taking the steps and making those actions. And certainly when it comes to men, this is where the onus is placed back in to the hands of men. And so the question it begs is, okay, so why are so many men making such bad choices? Isn't that what we ultimately arrive at? Is like, how yes. can there be so many men making such bad choices about so many things that are seemingly, with any degree of intelligence, not good things or good ways to be. 
right? that's a perfect place to uh, <laughs> just to pause there for a second. When we're going to go for a quick break, but when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about why men continuously like make these decisions that are clearly toxic. They know it's wrong they, to do it anyway. to the right place my name is Caleb truth and i'm your catalyst dedicated to sharing good vibes mind expanding and heart-centered information knowledge is power in this fast-paced world it is so easy to get distracted by the matrix and miss out on connecting with the right people and information that will truly help you in living your best life on this radio program i save you time and energy by sharing awesome people, new discoveries, life solutions, and wisdom to help you take action and create a positive shift in your life. I invite you to join me and share in this exciting adventure. Listen to Beyond the Veil on innerlightradio.com every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Beyond the Veil, inspiring conscious evolution. All right, and we are back. For those of you who are just tuning in now, today I have a guest on. His name is Garth Sam, and we're talking about toxic masculinity, what it is and what causes it and what we can do about it. So before we went into break, uh, Garth was touching on uh, these ideas that, you know, people clearly know, men to be more specific, know that a lot of the behaviors they exhibit are not healthy and that they are toxic and hurtful and that they damage their relationships or, you know, damage 
the planet, whatever the hell it is. <laughs> like mm-hmm. It's damaging in so many different ways. But yet they continued to do it. And so what I wanted to kind of dive deeper into is the music industry and the film and TV industry and how it reinforces toxic masculinity. So first off, I want to dive into music. Because for me, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the laws of frequency and vibration that govern this reality, that govern this universe is so powerful. And we're, we see now, if we watch how music has evolved from, you know, the 1920s, 1910 to now, we see a huge transformation in, 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 in the, the substance of what music was. And I personally believe that music had more substance and more soul back in the day. And But now, music is just commercialized. It seems to have no soul. It's empty. And not only is it empty, it's reinforcing a lot of these toxic uh, ideas uh, like we see in, in hip-hop now. You know, it's all about slap that ass, like slap that, those titties and blah, 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 <laughs> you know, all these things. And so now when I go back and I listen to a lot of hip-hop uh, from some of who were my idols back in the day, not really any, anymore, I can't even listen to it. It, like, hurts my energy. I'm just like, oh. Like, I can't, I can't, I don't care if it has a good beat. I can't listen to this garbage anymore. And I think that, you know, especially the R&B and hip hop music industry, I think if, if they don't um, begin to reinforce more positivity, positive lyrics with their amazing beats and all these things, I think toxic masculinity is going to continue. So what's, what, Garth, I'm like curious to know your opinion yeah. on all that. No, I, I completely agree with you as far as that's concerned. I've had my forays into the music industry and know a number of people in that space and um, I'm working in some of that space still today but uh, it's very disappointing and it's it's easy to understand if you look at it in terms of the commercial interest behind a lot of these type of acts and behind a lot of this sort of culture and there's no question that a lot of it lends itself to the problems that we see in terms of men's behavior and men and boys acting out. And I mean, I would, I would attach this specifically to the lack of positive role modeling that exists and or the, the counterpoint to that, which is the provision of negative role modeling that we see in a lot of the, in a lot of the music. And I mean, you know, it's, the hip hop community, the rap community, you know, depending on, you know, the urban music genre. But I mean, you can also look at things like you know, there's a lot of that uh, negativity also expressed in other genres, too. So, it's, you know, as much as that particular sector stands out really powerfully as demonstrative of, you know, misogynistic behavior, sexual objectification behavior, you see it in rock, you see it in hard rock. I mean, you see the sort of diabolical and dark energy being uh, promoted by people like Marilyn Manson. You know, I'm uh, naming a name, but it's just <laughs> one that comes to the top of my head right off the top. And I mean, you understand why it's being done. There's a commercial interest. You know, I don't disparage or denigrate anybody for expressing their art. And I give full reign to people to express their art and their creativity. What always makes me question back to that whole issue of taking responsibility for our choices is why are you choosing to express your art in that particular way? You know, what is it that you feel the world? How is the world going to be improved by you expressing your art in that particular way? And that's a big question for those of us who are interested in some sort of elevation of consciousness, particularly you know, different communities that show a, a lack thereof or a seeming lack thereof. 
you have to ask yourselves, you know, is it really worth it to sell your soul for rock and roll, so to speak, right? I mean, yeah. Or I mean, even if it's R and B, I think R and B these days is the new rock and roll. (laughs) Hip hop. I mean, you know, wherever people, wherever you look in terms of the commercial music that's out there, you will see, of course, that the marketing. You know, the marketing gurus behind it are very, very well aware of what moves people, particularly what moves young people. Because, you know, we're talking about trying to influence younger people in their teens or 20s. It's very simple. (laughs) It's not complicated. You know, fun, sex, money, you know, materialism. These are the drivers Mm -hmm. that are, are the big movers. So if you infuse everything you do with conversations about fun, you know, uh, irresponsible fun, irresponsible sexual conduct, uh, irresponsible behavior with substance abuses and whatnot, um, you know, misogynistic activities. It's no surprise that the people who are looking at this stuff will be excited and thrilled and, you know, they'll want to pop champagne and, you know, have wild parties too, right? And snort coke off of uh, the bellies of hookers. Yeah. Yes. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. easy to understand. And I mean, you know, I, I, it, what's so tricky about it, to be perfectly honest and in fairness to our species, is that we are fairly, you know, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And that human experience is very much a driving facet of who we are. And when we're young and hormones are raging and consciousness is limited and there hasn't been a lot of good role modeling or parenting or opportunities for people to look at other ways of being and kids and young people are looking at these type of things it's easy to see why it's so appealing mm-hmm. and you know I, I have a really hard time blaming blaming the uh, people who are consuming this media and blaming them for finding it attractive and whatnot because I know that I found it interesting and attractive as you were just saying yourself if you look back and reflect on some of the things that you once saw were interesting or at least entertaining you know, you might look at them now and go, yeah, mm, yeah, mm, not really very conscious, not really very substantial. But there was a time and a place when we were all moved by such things. I mean, you know, in the 50s, when rock and roll came along in the 50s or whatnot, and everybody was decrying it as like, you know, the devil's music. And if you shifted from the 30s to the 50s, and now you've got, you know, Elvis swiveling his hips and stealing moves from <laughs> African-American artists and whatnot and turning yes. into commercial successes and whatnot, you know. At that point, that was really risque and very, very different. And of course, it captured the attention of kids wanting to be anti, uh, you know, countercultural and wanting to stake their own claim and their identity and all that sort of stuff. And it happens with every generation. It's happening now. It's going to continue to happen. I, I don't know that we'll have an opportunity to really uh, end that until we make some meaningful shifts around our philosophies economically, our economic philosophies and our consciousness around economics will have to shift dramatically in that regard. But what I'm excited about is the counterpoint opportunities of things like your show and Interlike Radio and other type of initiatives and things that I'm doing and what, what, you know, this is where we have to look to hope and faith in the future is that we can provide some counterpoints of significance that will balance in some way, shape or form or, or give those who are amenable, interested, open, and available, an opportunity to see a different perspective that makes them at least rein in some of that. And that's what we're hoping for, right? And then, yeah, again, that's why we're here, to to put forth uh, like a form of media that can speak to 
other ways of being, as you put it earlier, that go above and beyond all these sociocultural programs that have been like perpetuated for all these decades. And I think, I think like you, like you made me think about something that you were saying before about the transition of music from like the thirties and the fifties and whatnot. And it seems to me that like, just in general, being a human and expressing the, the, the different spectrums of what it is to be human has been oppressed through religion and mm-hmm. through other kinds of ideas. And it just seems like as human beings, we're trying to find our way through all of these things into finally arriving at a place where we can just be and we can just pursue yeah. our passion and our purpose. And I think like, yeah, I think this is the time that we're in. And I think definitely uh, men in general healing from toxic masculinity is going to be a huge catalyst to free everybody and to, to end these, these, these toxic cycles, these violent cycles that we've seen on our planet for the last like 5,000 or 10,000 years. Yeah, no, I mean, we'll all be the beneficiaries. And I mean, you know, the other point that I want to make is that of course, what men need to understand and they do, but maybe it's not articulated to enough of them is that a lot of these socialization procedures or socialization processes that we're part of are really victimizing ourselves. Like we're ultimately yes. victimizing ourselves. We're not creating a context or a consciousness or a capacity to be able to enjoy a better quality of life or a better quality of relationship with self and other, you know, by the socialization that we actually foist upon ourselves, right? I mean, all of the stupid shit that guys do and uh, the silly ways that we are and the kind of foolishness that you've already made mention of that men and boys uh, indulge in and encourage each other to indulge in, they do not serve us ultimately well at all. And part of what I'm concerned about is we're starting to see more and more that that's the case. I mean, I'm concerned and optimistic at the same time. I'm concerned about the fact that you know, uh, so many are suffering and struggling right now. I mean, suicide rates are higher than ever for men right now. Men are yes, actually, I mentioned you know, that on a previous right show in yeah. UK. Like the suicide rates have gone up by like seventy yeah. something percent, yeah. and like because they're depressed, they're not feeling yeah. good in certain ways. And like, yeah, I was shocked when I brought that up on my show. I, I was shocked. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, men are really struggling right now. They're struggling for a number of reasons. They're trying to find their identity. At this time, young men are trying to figure out, I mean, there's so much information. I mean, that's the thing about the millennial generation and the generations that are coming even before millennials. Now they're younger. What are they? What are, what's pre, pre-millennial now? It's like Generation X, I think. Uh, no, uh, sorry, not pre-millennial, but post-millennial, the post-millennial generation. Oh, Lord. Yeah, even I saw younger. a presentation from a, a person from Microsoft and she went again? into yeah. all of that, but I can't remember. Gen, gen, is it Gen Z gen, or Gen, gen yeah, Z? Maybe, gen Z? I think maybe it's, it's Gen Z. Gen X, Gen Y, Z, I don't know. If it was X, <laughs> I guess uh, X, Y would be millennial, so Z, the Z, let's call them the Z kids. Mm-hmm. If we're American, we'll call them Z, and Canada, we'll call them Zs, right? <laughs> um, you know, there's enough information around now. What's the, the other thing that's shifted dramatically, of course, since we're, if we're talking about music or any sort of cultural transition or, you know, a human societal transition, we've, we've moved from a time of considerably limited information to a time of, you know, inordinate amounts of information that people are trying to digest and process right now, which includes all the Gen Zs, right? The Gen Z, Gen Z people are trying to figure things out. So they're seeing media and hearing programs like this and being exposed to different types of stimulus and information on the one hand, but they're also bombarded by the music videos and all the crap and all the other kind of incentives to just buy, 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 play, 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 and be stupid too. So it's confusing. It's very, very challenging. And, you know, for men in particular, I find it's particularly confusing because I think that men have been resting on their laurels as being the dominant member of the species for so long 
that it's been a kind of assumption that we just run things and rule things, and the way it is is the way it's going to be, but it's not. It's shifting dramatically. And so when the rug starts being pulled out from underneath and things that are familiar and comforting and comfortable to men or boys start to not being as, as solid underneath them, it becomes a really, really difficult time in trying to figure out, you know, who are you? What are you about? You know, what does it mean? Coming back to the whole word masculinity, you know, what does it mean to be expressing a positive masculinity? And that's really, you know, a big part of my sense of mission is around how do we reappropriate masculinity as a term that has a positive connotation, not just a negative one that is so often connected to misogyny, because that's what's happened, you know, yes. and, and I don't blame the world for looking at it that way. I mean, you know, you reap what you sow, and this is the karma that we have reaped. But I really think it's important because of the challenges facing so many men now, that there are voices such as my own and other people out there who are saying, well, all right, you know, it's not all baby and bathwater. You know, men are not all shit. Not all men are shit. Not all mm -hmm. men are murderers. Not all men are rapists. Not all men are ruthless. Not all men lack integrity. Not all men are indifferent to the suffering of others. In fact, there are many, many, many who aspire to realize their highest potential and to manifest the best and make this world a better place for their having been in it. And hallelujah and, for the men that are down here like that. <laughs> right. And so there have to be there has to be support for that type of consciousness. There has to be an opportunity for that type of dialogue to be respected and allowed. It's kind of like yeah, you know, those stupid conversations that you hear in schools where people put down the smart kids, right? You know, smart is smart is not cool, so yes. don't be smart, right? I mean, that kind of ignorance, right? This is yes. kind of the new conversation along those lines, right? Conscious is not cool in some way. Conscious is nerdy, you know, empathetic, sympathetic, compassionate. This is like some sort of a negative. No, we have to reclaim those things as positives and help men to appreciate that they will only improve the quality of their own lives, even as they improve the quality of the lives of the people that they interact with. Yes, and I think, I think the contrary is happening right now in a lot of the communities in North America and Canada, United States, these spiritual communities that are really diving deeper to, you know, Re reconnect again with their own source of power and who they mm -hmm. truly are. And I think that there is the, that, that, that opposite kind of conversation where it's like, oh, wow, like, I, I really got to like be like a little bit more sensitive, more compassionate and it's okay. And it feels good. And, and yes. I, I feel great doing that. And it's not this thing again, where, Oh, if you're, you're compassionate, you're this and that you're weak or you're not, you know, you don't have balls or whatever it is. Mm. I think that we are seeing the very beginnings oh, of yeah. change in, in the social programming. There's, there's too much information that is contrary to the status quo messaging of the past. For some people not to take notice. Now, the only real question that we have is, you know, how many, like what proportion? And we don't have to have an exact number, but, you know, that's really the only real question is, you know, how many people, how many men are being part of these conversations? How many men feel sufficiently secure to be part of these conversations? I mean, that's one of the things, again, that I find really important in the work that I'm doing and in the group that I'm building is in creating a safe space. And it sounds kind of cliche and cheesy, but, you know, men don't want to acknowledge their vulnerabilities. Men don't want to acknowledge their insecurities. Men are, are more fearful than they ever show, to be honest. Yes. Um, so the truth of the matter is you have to try and create a place and an opportunity for conversations where 
uh, you're looking at and examining things that are not typical, um, but you're doing it in a manner and a fashion in, a, in an environment that allows for that type of dialogue to be explored and that type of conversation to be held and for people to feel sufficiently secure and safe to be participatory in that without thinking that they're going to be ostracized or ridiculed or, you know, treated badly. And I guess yes, that's, that's really, yeah, that's, so that's where these community engagement, these community, uh, these community initiatives are starting to hold sway and have some sort of gravitas because mm -hmm. you need to have that kind of a space. And I've, you know, I've seen it, experienced it, and I'm, I'm trying to do my part in helping to hold that kind of space. Yeah, I think I think it's it's an amazing thing, a special thing. Like when you and I first met at that event, when I heard what you were doing, I was like, "Wow, this is incredible. This is what we need." Because like again, like you and I talked about the fact that I go to all these events. A lot mm -hmm. of us go to these events, and it seems that they're not there's not enough men from all different cultural sure. ethnic groups yeah. participating in elevating their consciousness, their awareness, doing the healing work, you know, doing the self introspection. Like yeah. there just isn't enough. At least from my opinion, I think from a lot of people that I talk to in my community, and it would be great if, if you know, more men participated in these events, these group talks and things so mm -hmm. that we can unify, you know, women and men and have greater conversations on how the heck we're going to move this civilization forward. Because like you said earlier in the show, this is a matter of the survival of our species. We can't yes. continue to just blow shit up and nope. take over countries and go yeah. to war all the time. No. <laughs> you know, that has to come to an end. Well, I mean, you know, everybody ends up being victimized by those processes. If you look again at the statistics currently around suicide and dysfunctional behavior of PTSD, military survivors, you know, the United States is rife with all kinds of soldiers who are returning from battlefield experiences, traumatized, and I mean, other parts of the world, too, that have soldiers who are returning from combat experiences and are having tremendous difficulty coping once you've, you know, once you've been a trained killer who has been expected to do heinous acts, it's pretty difficult to rein that stuff in and or to reconcile it when you're back in civilian society where those things are shunned and considered to be bad. You know, they're considered to be very, very negative behaviors. So we have, you know, tremendous challenges to face. But one of the points that I've, you know, one of the places that I've landed, which I think is important for men to get a grip on or, or try to realize is that you have to couch these conversations and frame them in a way that people see the benefit to themselves. Yes. I find that humanity is built selfish, and that is just the nature of the beast. So, you know, very few people are altruistically inclined, in my opinion, in any real sense of the word. The vast majority of us are moved by what we feel or see is going to be to our benefit in some way, shape, or form. And that doesn't preclude... Uh, a benefit for the other person on the other side of a, a relationship. But there needs to be some sense of benefit to really move the masses and move people forward. So, you know, what I'm trying to do in terms of how I encourage these conversations is to get people to understand, get men to understand that their lives will be better if they make this kind of consciousness leap, this kind of shift in who they are and how they are and how they engage with the world. Their lives will be better. They will enjoy, you know, subjectively they will have an improved life experience for taking this type of uh, step forward into these spaces that may be somewhat uncomfortable or unfamiliar, but there's value to be gained to them. And I think that's really the key piece in getting people to the conversations, like getting people out to the kind of event that you made mention of earlier, getting people to engage in dialogue and conversation or groups or, you know, even coming out to my the events that I put on, you know, I, I found it really interesting to watch and see who 
is interested in being party to the kind of gatherings of men that I've been organizing. Mm-hmm. And you see that there's a lot of fear and apprehension in men. You know, first of all, putting themselves into the company of men, there's a tremendous distrust between men themselves. I mean, let's mm-hmm. be really clear here. It's not just between men and women. Men and men have huge issues that need to be healed and resolved, gargantuan ones. And, and so much of it stems from having a lack of, you know, solid parental figures and a lack of, you know, positive fraternal figures in their lives. So there's a huge amount of work and healing to be done there. So back to that, creating that safe space. But, you know, to get people to the table or, you know, to bring the horses to the trough, there has to be some natural sense on their part that there is a reason to do so and a benefit to be accrued by doing so. And I think yes. that's really the key piece. And it's it's like a taste thing. You know, there, I remember, uh, you know, I think back on one of my experiences with one of my martial arts instructors who used to say that you have to, you know, have to, it is, you have to taste the essence of the movement that you're doing, which was sort of his his mm. uh, metaphor as a, yeah, non, like a non-English speaker, a Chinese gentleman trying to explain uh, the subtleties of this particular martial art that I was training in with him. And, uh, you know, once you give people a taste and they've had it for themselves, whether it be through meditation or some other sort of practice or just being involved in conversations that are not so status quo or not so linear or not about sports and you know sports and sports and bitches and sports cars yes. and bitches you know sports cars bitches gambling i don't know that kind of stupid shit mm-hmm. right once you go beyond that and give them a chance to really go a little deeper and to see how it feels to them and what they take away from that and how it's empowering and inspiring and enriching and enlightening i feel that you've done you know the key first steps to moving someone along and them in turn being able to have that sort of concentric ripple outward of effect on other people like that everything you just said was absolutely incredible and amazing i gotta have you back on the show again in the future but we have we have like about four minutes left in the show what i want to want to get to quickly if Mm. you could in like in in a minute if you could like just (laughs) give some give give men some kind of a practical guide like how can they like begin to dissolve these to- these toxic programs within themselves what are a few things they can do in their in their daily lives that can help with that okay well i would say that the good news is that there's a tremendous amount of information out there and more and more and more there are resources and supportive platforms that are encouraging men to explore who they are and have a greater sense of what it means to be expressing themselves in a positive masculine context or framework, right? My group, which is, I mean, you mentioned, it's called the Universal Brotherhood, um, you know, is one such, but there are many other such institutions and groups and, and individuals who are trying to promote that type of consciousness. So I would say that be proactive and start to look, you know, start to do some reading. There's, there's no lack of access to information around personal growth and development, whether it be specifically around this area of masculinity and masculine development, or just as a human, you know, be proactively interested in the process of getting to know who you are. You know, your goal, as far as I'm concerned, your primary purpose or first primary purpose on this planet is to deepen your knowledge of self such that you're Mm. able to share that self with others and help others to move along in their journeying too. And the better and deeper that you go in terms of that understanding and refinement, the more it is that you can bring to bear in other people's lives. So be proactively interested and engaged in those type of processes. Start with little small steps if you need be, you know, a little meditation here and there, a little practice of some sort spiritually here and there. You don't have to go hardcore, jump in with both feet. You can just start to nibble and see how it feels. But inevitably what will end up happening is it'll feel good and you'll want to do more. 
Yes. <laughs> well, that's the good news. And it's, it's, it reminds me of a tweet that I tweeted like a couple days ago where I just said, it feels good to feel good. Yes. And once you get a taste of feeling good, whether it's from meditation or connecting to these groups, as you said earlier, you're like, man, I've been missing out. Like, yeah. why did I, why was I doing that? And then you want to do more of it. Yeah. And seek, you know, you have to look for some foundations to be vested in and, and to use as guidelines for who it is that you want to be. Ask yourself that question. You know, who is the man that I want to be? You know, I, I ask a couple of questions like that. I throw at the guys. I say, you know, look at who are your role models? You know, yes. what do their lives uh, look like? In fact, we got 30 seconds left to close. Um, <laughs> All right. Wrap it up. Kate. So <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, what is your website quickly so we can tell them? www.theuniversalbrotherhood.org. All right. So everyone, if you want to go and check that out, there you go. Connect with Garth, especially if you're here in, in Toronto, Canada. Join these groups if you're men, and I'm sure you're going to find like a magical experience and an amazing benefit. Thank you so much for joining me here again today. If you want to listen to this rebroadcast, you can find it on my podcast at www.klovetruth.com slash podcast. Or you can find me on Instagram at klovetruth or on Facebook as klovetruth. So thank you so much again uh, for being with, uh, being with us here today, Garth. And thank you so much to the rest of you who are listening and continue to support this program. I wish you all the best and abundance in all areas of your lives. Sending you all lots of love and lots of light. See you again next week at 1 p.m. Eastern on AirlightRadio.com. 